If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 3. We're going to look at the title of our teaching, Jesus is Superior to Moses. And so we have been dealing with the book of Hebrews. We're, we're just beginning, just the tip of the iceberg. But you have to keep in mind that the writer, which I believe is Paul the Apostle, there are those that are going to argue, and we're going to see this morning, that even though man might have penned it, the Holy Spirit is the one that taught it. The Holy Spirit is the one that even dictates it. And so the Holy Spirit is our teacher. But you have to understand, these are Hebrews that have come to saving grace. They believe that Jesus is Messiah. But they can so easily go back uh, to their rituals, rites, their customs, their traditions. They can so easily go back to Judaism. They could place their faith even in Moses. Now again, we look at Moses and we believe he was the lawgiver. He, he gave us the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And we see Moses that he led the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. We know that there was a great rebellion. But we won't take Moses any higher than that. He was a servant of the Lord. But yet I want you to think of the Hebrews. They would place Moses in a high position. And so the writer of Hebrews has to address that. And so let's begin here in Hebrews chapter 3 and look at verse 1. Therefore, and when you see the word therefore, it's what we've already been teaching. So therefore, and he calls the Hebrew Christians, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, what we've already taught, what we've already studied, we looked at chapter 1, chapter 2, we come to the conclusion, the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator back in Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus is superior over the angels, that is. Jesus in his humanity, we studied last week, is superior. That he was and is uh, the God-man in flesh. Now the writer, the Holy Spirit, or Paul the Apostle, addresses uh, the Christian church there at, concerning the Hebrews. He calls them holy brethren. Now when you speak of the word holiness, there's no holiness in me, no holiness in you. You speak of the word righteousness, there's no righteousness in me or in you. But in Christ... We come to that place of holiness and righteousness only through Jesus Christ. And so he calls them holy brethren. You who are partakers, you who share of God's heavenly call, the call to salvation. Now remember that the book of Hebrews, the writer, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the saved Hebrews. Now consider this, he says to them in verse 1. The word to consider, observe, or perceive this. The apostle, our ambassador, the messenger, and the final high priest of who uh, we confessed or we acknowledged. What did we acknowledge? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That salvation is only through Jesus Christ and not through the law. Salvation is not through uh, Judaism. But salvation is through Jesus Christ. Again, this morning... We should not have a problem, but I want you to think of the Jewish mind. But pertaining to us Gentiles, salvation is not through religion. Salvation is not through Protestantism. Salvation is not through denomination or non-denomination. But salvation is through this final high priest. And we're going to see that through the book of Hebrews, which is Christ Jesus. Now, there are two scriptures I want you to keep in mind from verse 1. In the book of Job, it's considered the oldest book in the Bible. In Job chapter 9, verse 33, Job is looking for a mediator, a go-between, a bridge builder. Job is looking for a days man, it says in the King James. One that will intercede between God and man. And then Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, there is only one mediator between God and man, 
And it's the man, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And so there is this mediator. Now notice verse 2. Jesus, who was faithful to him, speaking of God the Father, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful to his house. It's, we're going to share the house of Israel. So here in verse 2, he, Jesus Christ, was and still is faithful. Faithful to his heavenly father because God appointed him. God appointed Jesus Christ. The word appointed in the Greek means that he was committed to his call. Which call? The call to die on the cross to give us life, life eternal. Now, in the other hand, as Moses was also faithful to his call, to all his house. Now, God committed Moses to lead Israel from Egypt to the promised land. Now, I want you to pay attention. Moses failed in his call because he misrepresented God. They're at almost the conclusion of the 40 years in the wilderness. The people wanted water. Moses went to the Lord, and the Lord says, Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses became angry, frustrated with the people. And the Bible says that he took the staff and that he beat the rock. Now, the grace of God, water came forth. But you see, in leadership, Moses misrepresents God before the children of Israel. And the punishment for Moses, he led them in the wilderness for 40 years, but he did not partake of the promised land. The Bible says that God, before Moses died, he took him up to Mount Nebo, and he got to see the promised land, the land of Canaan. But he did not partake. Now, I struggled with that for years because leadership. I said, Lord, he made us a mistake. We all make mistakes. But he misrepresented God as a leader to the nation of Israel. And so he was not allowed into the promised land. Now, that first generation was not allowed into the promised land. The Bible says only Joshua, Caleb, and, and that first generation, they all died. But Joshua and Caleb and their families, that's it, not even Moses. Now, there is no doubt in my mind, no doubt in your mind, I hope, this morning, that Jesus is superior to Moses. But the Jews would have placed Moses in a high-ranked position. One commentary said this, the Jews held Moses to a higher level. And that Moses was closer to God than the angels. We have to be careful with that. Moses was the faithful servant uh, to God's house, the nation of Israel. But Jesus Christ was the faithful son who built the house of God, the church, the body of Christ. Now, how did he build that house? But through his precious blood. That's the new covenant. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Now, he's going to develop this more. Look at verse 3 now. For this one, this one has been counted worthy. Notice the word one. It's capitalized, the word one, because it's speaking of Christ. This one, Jesus Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And as much as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Jesus Christ, look at the authority and the supremacy. He has been counted more worthy. Uh, the Greek translation, entitled or deeded. Glory, much glory, worship and praise and honor. Then Moses. Now Moses was a good servant, a servant of the Lord. Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. He is Messiah. Yes, Moses was faithful to the house of God in the Old Testament, which would have been the nation of Israel. But he, Jesus Christ, who built the house, the church, by his precious blood. The church has much more honor towards Christ, and we should. 
We should worship him. We should praise him. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You see, church, animal sacrifices was not sufficient. Animal sacrifices were pointing uh, to the cross. And so the blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. The blood of Christ, listen, is what saves us. Now, there is a beautiful passage of Scripture. I want you to mark it down. I'm going to read it to you. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17. Now, again, remember that they would have placed Moses in a high-rank level. In John 1, 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came uh, through Jesus Christ. Powerful verse. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We must go through Jesus. In verse 4, he continues. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Now, I want you to see the position that's placed upon Christ. Every house, obviously, has a builder. But God is the one who made everything. The builder of all things and the entire furniture of all things is God. Because he is the creator. Now we have to establish this. I want you to turn with me. Leave your marker there. Go to Colossians. The book of Colossians. Go to chapter 1 and look at verse 16 and 17. You see, to the church at Colossae, Paul was writing... And he spoke to them of the Godhead bodily. He says, in the Godhead bodily. Now, in the Godhead, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But in the Godhead bodily, we will see Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, pay attention closely. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 16. By him, capitalization here, by him, Jesus Christ. By him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and listen to this, for him. Now he's not finished. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says through Paul in verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Again, the capitalization on the word him. In him all things consist. Now, we know that as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, Jesus was at the creation. Jesus took part of creation. All things consist by him. All things are made by him and for him. The word to consist here, all things are held together by him. The Greek is strong here. The glue which holds everything together, listen, is Christ. Now, I, I don't understand all the sciences, but I understand that, you know, you have the earth, you have the planets, you have the rotations. It amazes me how the earth has to sit just a little bit tilted. I mean, everything is perfect. All things are, are held up by him. All things consist because of him. I heard an old preacher years ago. What if Jesus just said, I, I, I'm not going to take care of the earth. I'm not going to take care of, you know, creation for just a second. You're just going to take a break. I'm God, right? All chaos would take place, church. You, you see, all things are made by him and for him. And all things consist by him. They're all held up by him. I want you to see that. I often say this as something flippant, but when you go to bed at night and you go to sleep at night, because I wake up sometimes gasping, and I used to, it used to frustrate me. I'm going to go to bed, but who's going to breathe for me? How's that all work out? And yet, God in his grace, God in his mercy, and you wake up in the morning, you take a deep breath, and you say, thank you. You see, all things were made by him and for him, and all things consist, held together by the power of Jesus Christ. And so the Hebrews 
the Hebrew Christians at this time have to come to that understanding. Not the law, not Moses, not the angels, but the superiority of who Christ is. Look at verse 5. Let's go back to our text now. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. We're not taking anything away from Moses. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. So Moses again, the servant of God, he served Israel. He served God, obviously. Moses' testimony in the Old Testament speaks clearly of who he was. But a greater. A greater servant of God would emerge in the future. That's what it's speaking about here in verse 5. And, and that greater one would be Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the Old Testament is pointing uh, to the cross, which is Christ. I'm always thrilled by that verse. Jesus is coming into uh, to the place where John was baptizing in the Jordan. And John turns around the Baptist and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew through the Holy Spirit. Jesus becomes the last complete sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews is going to teach us that Jesus dies once and for all. We don't have to bring in an animal sacrifice every Sabbath or every Sunday. We don't have to wait for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But Jesus died once and for all. The Hebrew Christians needed to come to grips with that. Look at verse 6. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, and I like the word here, the conditional word, if we hold fast the confidence or assurance and the rejoicing, the joy of the hope. Listen, we hold it firm to the end. Strong words here. Jesus Christ, the faithful son, he was in charge of the entire household. Now watch this. Old Testament and New Testament, the church. We are all God's household if, now here's that conditional word, if we hold fast to Jesus. And let's remain assured in our hope in Jesus Christ. But go back to the words hold fast. To seize the opportunity. That's what the Greek is saying. We have this assurance if we seize the opportunity. We hold on to Jesus. We recognize that through him is salvation. Remember we've shared this in time past. In John chapter 15, uh, the teaching of the uh, vine and the branches. He is the vine, we're the branches. And Jesus says, you are to bring forth fruit. You are to bring forth more fruit. You are to bring forth much fruit. But there's something interesting that Jesus says, listen, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. That's a promise, church. Now, the word to abide is powerful. If you stay in me, I will stay in you. And see, the Hebrews we're already becoming guilty as we studied in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They were becoming guilty of drifting away from their salvation. And some were going back to Judaism. Some were going back to the law. Well, that doesn't pertain to us. But we can fall guilty, fall trapped, and go back to our religion. We can feel guilty and fall trapped, listen, and go back to Babylon or go back to the world condition. Go back to Egypt. We have to constantly guard the heart because the heart is deceitful. We're going to study that portion in just a minute here. You see, we belong, if we're Christian, we belong to his house. We belong to the church, the body of Christ. We must, we must seize the opportunity. My assurance, my hope is in Jesus Christ. Not in Calvary Chapel, not in Pastor Bob, but man, your hope must be in Christ Jesus. That's my assurance, church. Now, let's continue. Now, we already shared, and Moses was faithful, Jesus is faithful. Now, we're called to that place. 
of being faithful. Now, the writer of Hebrews, one of the reasons I believe it's Paul the Apostle, because Paul was very knowledgeable of the Old Testament. And he often quotes, if you've been here, for chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, just those three chapters. He is constantly quoting from the Old Testament. And so here this morning, from verses 7 through 11, the writer is going to be quoting from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11 in the psalm. And he's going to be speaking about the children of Israel, how they got caught up into the wilderness. And they began to rebel against God. They began to become disobedient towards God. And that's our United States of America today. It's important that we see this. Now, he begins here in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and so we've been arguing, you know, who is the writer of the book of Hebrews? Some say that it was Paul the Apostles. Others say it cannot be. Some say it was Barnabas. And, and there's a, you know, there's a list of people. But I thank the Lord in a sense that we don't have Paul's signature like we have in a lot of epistles. But we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one that writes. Well, the men would write, but the Holy Spirit is the one that would give the epistle. And so therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. Now, to back up the theory that the Holy Spirit is the one that's writing the epistle, study Acts chapter 28, verse 25. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, and they were quoting Isaiah in Acts chapter 28. And so it's beautiful when you see it. Now we get into the psalm. In verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit speaks here to the Hebrew Christians. And he's directing it, as we already shared, from Psalm 95. But listen to what the Greek is saying here in verse 8. Don't allow your hearts to become stubborn. Don't allow your hearts to become hardened. Don't allow your hearts to become callous. You see, we're free moral agents. And, and basically, God lets us do what we want. We have the freedom of choice. And so if I want to sin, I can. If you want to sin, you can. But there are consequences uh, to sin. Be careful when we allow our hearts, like the children of Israel, to become stubborn. That's what happened to the Old Testament saints of the rebellion. Israel's heart became hard during the time of the 40 years of the wilderness. In the desert, as the trials came, the hearts became harder. And that's why they did not enter the promised land that first generation. Now, we always speak about the wilderness. For 40 years, they were in the wilderness, but... What's interesting, if you know the geography, if you do the book studies, and if I can make the analogy, the children of Israel were in Egypt. They were in Egypt for 400 plus years. They were in bondage. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And they began to cry out because of the taskmasters. They were so hard. Lord, send us a deliverer. And God hears their prayers, and he sends them Moses. But the children of Israel did not live in Egypt. They lived outside of Egypt about 20 miles. There's a place called the land of Goshen. But if you do a geographical, you know, insight, from the land of Goshen to the promised land, it would have taken 2 million people, easy, with their animals, their carts and such, it would have taken an 11-day journey. I want you to think about that. When I first heard that, I said, I can't believe it. Why did it take 40 years? I didn't understand that. That's like any one of us here say, well, I'm going to go to El Paso. Three days later, did, when did you get to El Paso? I'm not there yet. Well, what do you mean? What are you doing? Are you crawling? But you see, they were in rebellion. They were in rebellion. 11-day journey took 40 years because of the hardness of their hearts. And church, this morning I'm here to encourage you. Be careful with the heart because 
It's wicked, and we're going to continue to read. Two verses I want you to look into later. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 11, verse 19, in the book of Ezekiel again, chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new spirit. I will remove from you the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You see, that's the born-again experience. God wants to change us. God wants to transform us. The problem with the church many times, we want to change the outside. You know, we think a Christian looks a certain way. And just because, you know, you put on a three-piece suit, and just because you got a nice pompadour working, we think that that's Christianity. No, you just look good. But where's your heart? And so the children of Israel were rebellious. They had hearts of stone. They had hearts of callous. They had hearts, listen, of stubbornness. And God can only transform that heart. Now we continue. We're still in Psalm 95. Look at verse 9. He says, where your fathers tested me, the 40 years in the wilderness. Your fathers tested me. Your fathers tried me. Yet your fathers saw my work. They saw my work for 40 years. Your forefathers, the word to test, they, they tempted me. Your forefathers, they tried me. God says, they tried to prove me. They tried to examine, let's see if God can do this. You know, when I read scriptures like this, I ask myself the question, where's the fear of the Lord? How dare we dictate to God? Listen, God, you do this and I'll do this. Listen, God, I will do this, but I want you to do this. There's no making deals with God. What do you think, you're buying an old car? People do that. Well, I'm going to put something in the agape box, or you know, I'm going to read, or I'm going to listen to those CDs in 40 days, but what am I going to get out of it? Well, if your heart is sincere, God's going to bless you. But imagine making demands from God. And this was the children of Israel. And so here, listen, the Holy Spirit speaks to the Hebrew Christian from Psalm 95. And, and the Greek says, don't test my heart. We read that already. Your forefathers tested me. They tried me. I want you to, if you know history of the nation of Israel, they cried out for, you know, a deliverer after 400 years. And they finally, God sends Moses. And listen, shouldn't this have changed our minds and our hearts? They saw the ten plagues in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea split. And then the land was dry. And then two million plus people crossed the Red Sea, carts and animals. Nobody's in a muddy bog. God bless that church. Besides that, then the Egyptian army came in after trying to, you know, capture them. And then the sea closed up. And the Egyptian army drowned right before their very eyes. They saw water come from the rock. God gave them quail meat. It said they had so much quail meat that it came out of their nostrils. God provided every day manna from heaven. They had everything. Moms, you'll like this. The book of Numbers tells us that God provided their clothing and their shoes. For 40 years, they never wore out. Now, today I'm older, obviously, and my shoes last me a whole lot longer. But I remember in the days when I was a kid, my dad, you know, we didn't wear tennies in those days. And my dad says, listen, hopefully these shoes are going to last you three months. You see, little did I know when I rode my bike, I wasn't supposed to be dragging my feet on the ground. So what? I didn't care. But imagine... No pay less for 40 years. No target for 40 years. Same clothes. I mean, what a tailor. Think about that. They saw, listen, the miracle signs and wonders. Yet they tempted the Lord. Yet they tempted the Lord. In the time of their rebellion. Now, we can look at these passages, and right away we can point the finger, and right away we can say, man, those Israelites were evil. Well, what about us? If you heard my testimony, I tempted the Lord for three years span. I didn't come to saving grace, and the Holy Spirit was after me. I'm okay. 
I'm all right. I'm a good person. Our hearts rebel. And we're going to see that. Notice verse 10 now. Therefore, I was angry. This is God speaking. I was angry with that generation, that first generation. And I said, they will always go astray in their hearts. Where's the problem? The problem is in the heart of man. He says, and they have not known my way. That's why God has left us his word, church. We're without excuse. It tells us in Romans chapter 1. Here in verse 10, the Holy Spirit is pricking the heart of man now. I was angry, God says. Now the word to anger there, God was grieved. God was displeased. God's heart was broken with that generation of Israel. God said, they always go astray. Listen, they always err. They always wander. They always roam. Where did they wander? Where did they roam? In their hearts. They left Egypt, but they took calf worship with them. It was an abomination unto the Lord. They did not know the ways of God. And here we have no excuse. We have the word of God. They had the word of God through Moses in that time. You see, the way of God is to know his word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus is the word. And in verse 14, and the word put on flesh. And he became one of us. So the importance of studying the word. The Hebrew Christians were already warned. Because of your hardness of your heart. They were warned in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. The dangers of drifting. The dangers of slipping. The dangers of sliding. Remember we used that analogy. Our salvation is like we bring the, the boat to the dock. The dock in a sense represents God. And we tie that boat up, but as we go day after day, week after week, year after year, we kind of just slack. And before you know it, one day that boat just unties itself because of the movements of the water, which is the trials. And the next thing you know, we're drifting away. And sometimes so far we can't get back. You see, God's given us a free will to choose. He's given us his word. God gave the word to the Old Testament saints, and they had a deliverer. His name was Moses. But they also had free choice. And they rebelled in their own hearts. Now, God's still upset. Now, we come to the conclusion of Psalm 95, and look at verse 11. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, these are heavy scriptures by the Lord. The writer, we know, is the Holy Spirit. He's coming to the conclusion now of Psalm 95 here in verse 11. God's oath of punishment. That generation would not enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. In fact, Moses did not enter, but he saw it, but he did not partake of it. Now, I am not saying they all went to hell, but they did not partake of God's rest. The Hebrew believers would not have rest in God. Now we need to stay in tune, intact with God. If I'm not with God, then I don't have rest. The word rest, I don't have quietness. I don't have peace. Oh, we're saved. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. But imagine, there's no joy of the Lord in us. There's no joy in my heart. Church this morning, don't count ourselves short. Let's desire, listen, all that God has for me. All that God has for me. You know, I don't want to get to heaven one day and the Lord says, Bob, I had so much more for you. I hope and pray that I, I, I do and I accomplish those things that God wants me to do. I hope you do too. Don't be just content coming in here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Lord, use me, Lord. Lord, what is it that you want from me? You see, there's Christian businessmen. There's Christian businesswomen. There's Christians that are, you know, fire department, law enforcement. I mean, the list goes on. Every facets of life, there's Christians. Man, when I got saved, I was working in the machine shops. And, man, I tell you, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. That was important to me. Because he brought me out of a, a mess. 
and he began to change me. Man, we need to be grateful for those and to give back to the Lord what the canker worm had stolen. Now we get back to our regular text. We're already finished with Psalm 95. Look at verse 12. Beware. And here comes another warning. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you. And here's that word we were sharing earlier. Oh, I don't have a problem with my heart. It says here, in any of you, an evil heart. Wait a minute. This is addressed to Christians. That's right. An evil heart of unbelief and a departing from the living God. We've read this verse over and over, and we've mentioned it many times. God will never leave us nor forsake us. He says it in the Old Testament. He brings it back in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. God will never leave us nor forsake us. But because of an evil heart, we can so easily, listen, leave him. Why? Because of unbelief. The word unbelief, unfaithfulness sets in. Disobedience sets in. What we shared earlier, rebellion sets in. A stubborn heart sets in. A callous heart sets in. I'm okay. I'm not that bad. I'm good. The Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. We must come to Christ. Unbelief will tear us apart. Again, the Hebrew Christians were beginning to drift away in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There is a parable that I love so much. I want you to mark it down in your notes. I want you to study it later. I'm going to give you the crux of it. In Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the sower and the seed. Now, oftentimes, Jesus would speak on parables. And he would use the analogies, the storyline would be in what they would understand. Now, they all understood farming. And so this parable is based on farming terms. And they would understand it totally. The parable of the sower and the seed. Now, the sower in the parable is Jesus Christ. The soil is the heart of man, and the seed is the word of God. But in the parable, there are four hearts that are mentioned. And the Bible says that only one heart brought back fruit. That means that three of them, oh, they made a commitment to Christ. They raised their hand. They were moved by the Holy Spirit, I believe. But they didn't go completely in. They didn't bring forth fruit. You see, God wants to change us. God wants to transform us. So in the parable of Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the seed, four hearts, only one responded. And I can share with you, for a three-year span, I didn't respond. For a three-year span, I thought I was okay. For a three-year span, I, I was under the impression my religion will save me. For a three-year span, listen, I used to bank on this. I was water baptized as an infant. For my three-year span, I banked on this. I made my Holy Communion as a child. I also was confirmed as a young teen. In fact, Mary and I not only got married in Las Vegas, but we wanted to get right with God and then, you know, get my grandma off my back. So then we got married through the church. So I did all the commandments. But I had no relationship with Christ. You can get water baptized all you want. But see, water baptism is an outward work. Communion is an outward work also when you're partaking of the bread and the cup. Confirmation is an outward work. But God wants to do a work where? In the heart. God wants to transform that heart. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man, any woman be in Christ, he or she now is a new creation. There has to be change. And the only one that can change you is Jesus. I've been there, church. Some of you have been there. Now, he's not finished yet. And he goes on now. In verse 12, he says, Beware, brethren. Now he goes to verse 13. But exhort. Now, be careful with the word exhortation. Right away, people think, Well, I'm just going to point my finger and shake my finger at that brother and sister in Christ. Oh, exhortation has so much deeper meaning. It means to comfort somebody. 
It means to console somebody. It means to encourage somebody. Yes, there's sometimes you've got to tear down a wall, but let's not to forget to rebuild the wall and rebuild that wall with grace, love, and mercy, compassion. Listen, you're sinning, you're going to hell, and then you leave them there? Man, you exhorted him or exhorted her. But was it done in love and compassion and grace? But exhort one another daily, which is called today, lest any one of you be hardened, there's that heart again, through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has that power. Now, don't misunderstand this first statement. Don't just rely on God's word on Sundays and Wednesdays. That's good. But here's the exhortation. Comfort them. Console them. Encourage them. What if they don't come to church? What about the rest of the week? Comfort them. Console them. Encourage them. I hope and pray that we read the word of God daily. I love this project that Hosanna Ministries out of Albuquerque has encouraged us to get into. And the first service, everybody pretty much, I, I don't think I missed anybody. I think everybody took a CD home. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let's challenge our own hearts to really listen to the word of God for 40 days. I mean, what's 40 days? Come on. And then watch and see what God's going to do. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, imagine what God's going to do. And so I hope and pray with, that we read the word of God daily. Also, if we see a brother or a sister beginning to drift away, warn them. But do it with love and compassion and grace because the Holy Spirit warns. Generally, when I've told somebody, listen, can I talk to you with love and compassion? Generally, when I speak to them, they already know. Because the Holy Spirit's already convicting them. You see, our hearts can become hard, again, and callous, again, Ezekiel 19 and Ezekiel 36, because sin deceives us. Now, I want you to listen to the word deceives. The word to deceive is, comes from the word to deceit. And here in the Greek, it delusions. The enemy can so easily bring delusion. He can dilute the thing. Go back to Genesis 3, and the serpent brought half truth, half lies. You're okay. Ah, you fornicate a little bit. Don't worry about it. Ah, you just uh, commit adultery once in a while. I know you love your wife. I know you love your husband. Don't worry about it. That's the enemy. Ah, you don't drink that much. You get a little drunk, but you're happy. Ah, you're just doing a little bit of drunk. I've heard it all. Ah, you just murdered him a little bit. Don't worry about it. Hey, he's dead. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Don't let our hearts to become disillusioned, clouded. And that's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy does. The biggest push right now in the church throughout our great nation Hey, homosexuals, that's the way they were born. Lesbians, that's the way they were born. Uh, they're people too, yes. God died for them too, yes. But they need to come to saving grace. And there has to be change. There has to be transformation. God cannot bless sin. That's bottom line. And so the children of Israel were in rebellion for 40 days. Be careful when the enemy brings forth disillusion. Look at verse 14. For we have become, listen, and here's the blessing. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold uh, the beginning of our confidence steadfast. And we take it to the end, church. How many times we've heard this term? What the world needs today is Jesus. And trust me, I agree. I agree 100%. But be careful when I think I'm doing my part. Well, I go to church. I pray. I read. I give of my time. I give of my offerings. 
I witness. And, you know, we can do good things, good works. They ask me to come and paint, I'll paint. They ask me to come and, you know, mop and sweep and vacuum, I'll do it. But, man, have you plugged into Christ first? You see, there's a lot of people that are work-oriented. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest the man should boast. Now, works, I believe, come automatically after salvation. We're going to study that when we get to the book of James. But first of all, have I become a partaker of Jesus Christ? Bottom line, I must partake of Christ first. I've come to the born-again experience, and now it continues. You see, I don't wait for Sunday morning. I don't wait for Wednesday night. These are the days that we come to church. But what do we do the rest of the week? What do we do the rest of the month? What do we do the rest of the year? And what a great opportunity, this program. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. At least for 40 days, God is going to have our attention. But I pray and I hope that you have a devotional time in the morning and a time of prayer. And I'm not talking about hours. That we have some time with God. I mean, we spend time with Oprah, right? Right now, the NBA playoffs, I spend time with that. Come on. If you're a golfer, oh, there's Tiger Woods. All right. You know, we all have our, you know, desires. Got a lady in our first service. She will not miss a, a, a rodeo. She likes the bull ride. And then she tells me, they're all Christian, Pastor Bob. I go, I hope you're a Christian to get in a bull. Golly. <laughs> they're crazy. But what I'm saying is, what it says here in verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. And then he says, if we hold the beginning of our confidence, assurance, steadfast, hang on, steadfast, hang on. Hang on to the end. You see, so many times people say, well, we're in a race. True. Christianity is a race. But then we think about a race, or well, the tortoise and the hare, right? One of us has to win. No, no, no. It's not who wins. It's who finishes the course. It's who finishes the course. I've seen people come out of the starting blocks in, in the church, and, man, they're on fire. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And, I mean, they're, they're splitting the real grand. I mean, you know. But then where are they six months from now? Where are they a year from now? Consistency. Finish the race. Look at verse 14 now. For we have become partakers of Christ. Verse 15. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It goes back to the position of the heart as in the rebellion. It goes back to the Old Testament saints. The Holy Spirit goes back again to Psalm 95, but this time verses 7 and 8. The example of the nation of Israel. Let us not be like the children of Israel. Listen to God's voice. Hearken to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen to God's word. And I can guarantee you, church, if we put God first and we listen to God's word, you've heard me share this before, God has no alternative but to bless you. God is going to bless you. I tell you, no, that doesn't mean you don't go through trials. That doesn't mean Christians don't lose their jobs. Christians do not get foreclosures. Christians do not get divorced. That does happen. But put God first. In Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Beautiful passage of scripture. Look at verse 16. And he goes back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Failure of the wilderness wanderers for who, having heard, they rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, weren't they led out by Moses? Now he's asking, who were those that failed in the wilderness wandering for 40 years? Israel heard God's word, yet they rebelled. They provoked God. That's the word rebelled they became bitter they became bitter at god's word that's not what god says 
Those that came out of Egypt, led by Moses, they rebelled against God, and they did not obey. They were rebellious. I think each one of us, at one time or another, we have seen rebellion. You maybe were one of those. Rebellion. You see, it grieves the heart of God. It displeases the heart of God. You know, our kids are growing up and moved out of the house, but in the years when they rebelled, and there was short times of rebellion, but it hurts. If it hurts a parent when they see a child rebel, what does it do to the heart of God? What did it do to the Lord when the nation of Israel rebelled, basically? <laughs> they rebelled for 40 years. An 11-day journey, but because of the hardness of their hearts, 40 years. Now, when you study the Old Testament and the wanderings for 40 years, God often called the nation of Israel a stiff-necked generation. Now, I want you to listen to this verse. Write it down. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 27, a stiff-necked people, a stubborn, rebellious people. In Psalm 75, verse 5, do not speak with a stiff neck. So the warning, again, the hardness of the heart. In fact, when you study the life of Moses and the 40 years of the rebellion, he's leading them out. There's times when God says, Moses, they're your people. And then Moses turns around, nope, I don't want them. They're your people. That's pretty sad when nobody wants you, especially God. But the rebellion, church, the rebellion. does not matter, listen, what I think or what you think. That's not what God's word says, but that's Old Testament. It doesn't matter what you think or what I think, but what does the word of God have to say? Look at verse 17 now. Now he says, with whom was he angry? Who was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, and listen to this, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? That first generation, they made God's heart angry. Listen, they grieved God's heart. They displeased God's heart. God, for 40 years in the wilderness, was brokenhearted for them. These made God a broken heart. I want you to think about that. When our children... You know, when my kids have done things in the time, pass, and, you know, and then it gets over... You know what it brings to mind? The things that I did to my mom. Oh, Lord, forgive me. My girls were nothing compared to what I did. And every time I call my mom, Mom, forgive me. Oh, I love you. That's the love of a parent. I love you. That's God's love for us, church. God's love for us. And if we sin, listen to this, or remain in unconfessed sin, we place ourselves in jeopardy, in jeopardy of judgment. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, eternal life. Now, here in verse 17, their corpses fell in the wilderness. I, I want you to read this. Turn to the book of Numbers. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Go to Numbers chapter 14. You've got to read this. The children of Israel, that first generation, did not enter the promised land. And so Moses pins this in Numbers chapter 14. Look at verse 21, 29. Excuse me. The carcasses of you who have complained against me, speaking of God, shall fall in this wilderness... All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Radical. Now, I like to read Albert Barnes. He's an old commentary. Listen to what Albert Barnes has to say about Numbers 14, 29. They all died, he says, and they were left in the sands of the desert. The whole generation, that first generation, was strewed along in the way to Canaan. All of those who had seen the miracle signs and wonders that God had done for them 
in the land of Ham, who had been rescued in so remarkable manner from the oppression. They were crying out after 400 years of being oppressed there in Egypt, were thus cut down and died in the desert throughout which they were passing. Judgment, judgment, because of a rebellious heart. That generation did not enter. I mean, if I was the children of Israel, I would have just been blown away. The ten plagues should have gotten you. But then you come to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army's coming, you're dead. A pillar of fire holds them back, and then the Red Sea opens up. Oh, wow, Lord, you did this for me? Red Sea opens up, the ground is dry. Now, I have to venture to say, the walls of the water were there, and you could have seen fish going in and out through there. And we don't believe. We have a heart of rebellion. This was the children of Israel. Now we're going to come to the conclusion of verses 18 and 19. Let's go back. In verse 18, and to whom did he swear? Again, take an oath that they would not enter his rest. He brings us back. But to those who did not obey. It's not just that there were the children of Israel, that first generation, but those that did not obey. God took an oath. Listen to this. That they would never enter his place of rest, the promised land. He was speaking to those who disobeyed him. The consequences of sin, the Bible says, is death. And so this morning, we're coming to the conclusion, I beg you by the mercies of God, if you're not right with God, if there is still sin that you're harboring in your heart, oh, what an opportunity this morning to repent. And to give this thing to God. I'm not here asking you to join Calvary Chapel. I'm not here to, you know, become one of Pastor Bob's team. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to exhort you with love and compassion and grace. We need to come to that place of saving grace. And so he concludes now. So we see that they could not enter. Why? Were they not allowed into the promised land? Because of unbelief. Unbelief. They were not allowed into the Canaan rest, the promised land, because of their unbelief. Listen to the word unbelief. Because of their faithlessness, because of their disbelief, because of their disobedience. And bottom line, because we're free moral agents, and so were they, they chose to reject God. They were telling God, we don't need you. They were telling God, we want you out of our schools. They were telling God, we want you out of our marriages. They were telling God, listen, we want you out of our government. Church, that's our United States of America today. We want to run our own ship. Well, we're failing. We're failing miserably. You see, we are born with an empty heart. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born with Adamic sin. And the only way to fill that heart with love and compassion and grace and forgiveness is through the power of God. I can't do it, and neither can you. Only Jesus can fill the void. In your heart. Drinking will not fill it. Drugs will not fill it. Sexual uh, activity will not fill it. The only thing that will fill it is the grace of God. Education, we need it. Money, we can survive without all of it, but we sure need finances. But those things are not going to save us, not going to sustain us. You heard the terminology, if I can just make $1,000, what happens when you make that $1,000? If I could just make another $1,000, and it goes on, we're never going to be content. You think Bill Gates is content? No. Has he filled the void in his heart? No. Look at all the celebrities. 
Look at all the sports figures that have empty hearts. Oh, they got the fame and the fortune and the money, you, you name it, the prestige. But do you know Jesus? Have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, this morning we are so grateful, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, you brought forth some teaching this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you were speaking to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and then you were speaking uh, to the Hebrew Christians around 64 to 68 A.D. You're speaking to us here this morning. And Lord, right now, I'm going to ask with every eye closed, with every head bowed, maybe you're here this morning and you have not made that commitment to Jesus. Or maybe you're so backslidden, you need to make that rededication in your life. With every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you this morning and the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I'm not here to judge you and I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, if you'd like to get right with God, indicate by raising your hand, I want to just say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ, please raise your hand before we end with prayer. Anybody? Praise the Lord. Then if we are all Christians, praise God. Hang in there, church. It's not over yet. Finish the course. Finish the race. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, we ask you to bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Lord, we ask that you would just bless tomorrow the memorial service for John Archer. Bless it in a special way. Father, bless next week as the women are going to get together uh, for the women's brunch, the uh, Mother's Day celebration. Bless it, Lord. Lord, continue to just go before each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.